I was praying and I said, Lord, I, I really would love to have, um, how do I, how do I minister to your church again on, on love? And little did I realize that uh, the weeks that would then follow would be uh, a, quite a, a difficult time. And in a sense, the Lord was uh, teaching me before, I ha before he gave me the ability to share this morning. So what I really want to do this morning is I really want to share and teach out of the word of God this morning on love and forgiveness. And what I want to do first, I want to go through it very systematically. And then I want to share a bit of a, a real short um, illustration personally about what happened so first of all, I want to talk about biblical love. And we know already that the Greeks had a really good language that gave tremendous depth and insight and expression into words. And uh, the English language, not as much. One example of this is actually the word love. And we use it in many different ways. I love pizza. Who here doesn't love pizza, you know? I love my brother. I love my wife. Hey, baby, let's make love. Same word, completely different meanings. Now, the Greeks actually had different words to express many different expressions of love. And I think I came across about nine of them, revealing very different shades, shall we say, of love. Now, I'm going to focus on two this morning. Eros and agape, or erotic and biblical, because this is where most of our culture fits into, and hopefully this will provide a bit of greater clarity on practical love. Now, there's a third one, and the third one is filio, which is brotherly love, um, and I'm going to just touch on this briefly, just give a, a few sentences to give a bit of a, a, a highlight a bit of a illustration or, or give a bit of clarity on this. So the first one being eros. Eros is where we get the term erotic from. It's fleshly, it's sexual, self-centered. Its foundation is based on what can I get out of it? It's complete self-satisfaction. Many can be stuck here in Eros, and this can describe much of our society. The Bible even gives us a bit of a warning uh, in different ways regarding against the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes. These directly stimulate and feed Eros love. And it's interesting because at times I've heard many people maybe express their relationships in one way by saying, you know, I, I love you one minute and then I hate you the next minute. And we kind of wonder, how is this possible? Well, it, it can be possible because maybe that relationship is determined on what they are getting or what they are not getting from it, which is Eros love. You know, when a man says, oh, baby, I, I love you. You know, they mostly say, I really want you. I eros you. You know, sometimes men, uh, you know, we were taught in the early years, many men marry because of eros love. They confuse lust with love. The teachers of eros love have been society, 
Hollywood, unfortunately, pornography. Those who learn from these teachers then pass on their knowledge to others, fathers to sons, generation to generation fed with this type of information reinforced through media and the surroundings. Eros love doesn't seek consent. And Eros love is always conditional. If you do this, this or that, then I will do my part. The easiest way to kind of determine Eros love is there's usually a kind of a bubble phrase. If you look at that cartoon, you see that little bubble above their head. The bubble would say, you know, I really don't care what you get out of it. It's what I get out of it. This eventually kind of comes out of the person's mouth and maybe not in those words, but kind of in other words. And the Bible actually says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and eventually what's in that person's heart will come out of their mouth. So this kind of gives us a little bit of insight in what maybe Eros love looks like within our society. Now, really briefly on filial love. Filial love is brotherly love, family love. There is more of a give and take with those who are governed by filial love. And it's more than just transactional. Filial love expressed in a marriage or in a friendship, usually with one another, or these, these people are with one another because they have so much more in common. There's so much more they can share with one another. So therefore they understand more, they agree more, and therefore they support each other more, sharing and growing with one another because of this commonality. That's really, really briefly a basic view of, of filial love. Now, agape is unique and stands completely alone. It's a biblical love revealed to us by the Father God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I spoke about this a few weeks ago, and as I covered uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, so I'm not going to go through that again today, but briefly, biblical love or agape love perseveres. It isn't jealous. It isn't proud. It doesn't boast. It puts others first, and it doesn't get irritated. Agape love can only be manifested in a true believer's life because agape love comes out of our relationship with God and the infilling of his spirit in us. And we see this in John's writing today. In verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading out of the, the New King James Version, just in case you're wondering. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23 also says that by the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So 
Your love and approach for and to others is the evidence that you have truly experienced God in your life and have a relationship with him. A believer in Jesus Christ starts to grow and the foundation or fruit of their life reveals a heart's desire to serve others in kindness, in gentleness, in self-control, putting the needs of others before theirs because they desire to be a light and a hope of Jesus Christ to all those that observe their life. Nothing is more true to the evidence of a agape love by our saviors, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And we see this in verses nine to 11. The Bible says in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus was our propitiation. That's, that's a really, really big biblical word. Now, propitiation means that Jesus appeased God the Father by laying down his life as a sacrifice to pay a debt that he did not own our debt, which we could not pay. We can give him nothing. We didn't love him. There was nothing noteworthy that we could offer. There was nothing admirable or good about us. Yet Jesus saw our sin, our suffering, our lost state, and said, I will cover their debt. He stepped out of heaven. He became a man. He suffered. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin, and paid the price for you and I. The love of the Father revealed to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, by laying down his life, again, to pay a debt that he did not own our debt, which we could never pay. So John in this portion of scripture is saying, if God so loved us, agape, laying down his life to pay our debt in full, shouldn't we then love one another in the same manner? Absolutely. So much so that since no one has seen God at any time, John says, that if we abide in God's love and he abides in us, that word abide means to remain, to continue, to endure, to stand. This will actually be evident in our lives. We who believe will and can know because his spirit dwells in us as his love becomes perfected in us. Now, that, that statement might actually sound a bit unusual, 
but there is an inward and there is an outward evidence of his spirit within us and his love being perfected in us. And we actually see this in verses 17 to 19 of our scripture. The Bible says love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So the evidence that we actually see is boldness, and we see no fear. Now, boldness in the day of judgment, what, what does that actually mean? Does that mean arrogance? You know, kind of bouncing our chest, you know, tapping our chest, so to speak. No, it, it doesn't mean arrogance. It, a better word here for boldness is confidence. A confidence in Jesus Christ and in the work that he's done in your life as your propitiation, your sacrifice, your savior. It's a complete work in thoughts, in heart, in life by the Holy Spirit through the living word of God. Simply put, Jesus Christ loves you and I with his perfect love and paid the price for our sins. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are redeemed because he loves you. And when his work of redemption shows itself in you, then all fear is cast aside. You start to develop a confidence and assurance in Jesus Christ. There should be no fear of the sinful past. Why? Because it's all been washed away. There's no fear of today's circumstances. Yes, there may be struggles. Yes, there may be difficulties. Yes, there may be tribulation. But no fear. Why? Because he watches over your very life and nothing, nothing, church, can touch you unless it's according to his perfect plan. Plus, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this evil world. There should be no fear of the future or of eternity. Why? Because Jesus has promised that he is preparing a place for you and I. And he's been doing so for 2,000 years. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Be assured that the scriptures are yes and amen. And rest in his promises. A word from the Lord, church. Fear not. Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Moving on, I, I want to briefly talk about 
forgiveness. Now, biblical love and forgiveness. Biblical love and forgiveness is this, I find this to be a, a, an interesting and a, and a personal, personally experienced topic this week. They're very intertwined. You can't love biblically and hold a grudge. It's just not possible. There's only enough room for one of them in your heart. First John, as we read in verses 20 to 21 in chapter 4, the Bible says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This is where the rubber hits the road. It, it reveals to others and even ourselves where we are in Christ. If he truly dwells in us and through us, if hate lies in our heart, then the love of God does not. If unforgiveness governs our lives, then the love of God does not. There's a saying that people say in the world, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Forgiveness is of God. It is supernatural. You know, I've heard it said that when you forgive someone of the sin they've committed against you, you're setting a prisoner free yourself. Unforgiveness is fed by the fires of hell. If it had a career, its job would be judge, jury, and executioner. Unforgiveness' simple goal is to put you in chains, stopping you from moving forward, linking you to a past of pain and hurt. If unforgiveness was a personality, it would be one of Satan's lieutenants. If unforgiveness could give birth, its children would be hate, bitterness, malice, vengeance, and wrath, to name just but a few. You can't control unforgiveness in your life. It needs to be repented of and forsaken. And a placard needs to be nailed to it that says, danger, don't touch least you die. David wrote in Psalms chapter 55, verses 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Regard means to hold on to. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verses 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Writing this message was very difficult. It, it came into fruition because I was personally challenged this week under extreme duress. A story was made up, whether on purpose with a motive or through misunderstanding, I'll never know. But the group believed it. I felt like I was a wounded animal being hunted down. When I kept speaking to individuals in this group, everyone said, no, this is not the case, but the knives were out and the hunt was on. 
in my simplicity of heart, I was hurt. I was deeply wounded, deeply saddened by what was transpiring. No one believed me. And some have known me for years, yet this didn't mean anything. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And it, when it grabbed me, I just, I just cried. On the flip side, during the week in my, in my Christian family, I had brothers and sisters call me from different churches seeking counsel on my thoughts on the current state of affairs. And somehow we just encourage them to fear not for the Lord is in control. All the while, my personal life was in effect falling apart. To say, to say I wasn't struggling would be just a lie. I felt like Paul, pressure from without and pressure from within. I was fearful of the outcome because I kept thinking maybe I should have done this, this, or that. I, I wanted to fight and escalate it in my own strength. And my wife said, no, don't. Remember, we, we don't start wars. <laughs> and then I, I love it. It almost reminds me of Arnold in, in her, her accent. We don't start wars. We just finish them. <laughs> I just laughed. She always puts a smile on my face. I, I was like a deer in the headlights. And she just put her arms around me and I, and I just cried. She said, no matter what happens, we will work it out. I, I remember one morning I just, I just cried out before the Lord and I begged the Lord, Lord, you gotta intervene. Forgive me for my lack of wisdom and not seeking you sooner, trying in my own strength to strategize things myself. And I struggled and I struggled to pray. The Lord simply said to me, Dave, don't worry. I have it all sorted out. I held onto that promise with all that I had and everything started to settle in my heart. At times, as everything overwhelmed me, I had to stop all my thoughts and simply just rest in the promises of the Lord. At times, I was angry. I was hurt, sad, and I felt completely rejected and betrayed. It was like I was a piece of garbage just thrown out. And the posture of my heart was always there just to help, support, and comfort. Now it all felt like it kind of amounted to nothing. I was facing a choice before me, a crossroads that I could lash out. And my old nature even rose up its ugly head and initially got in the way. The inward battle for an outward response was on. But the Lord reminded me that I need to leave everything in his hands and the foundation of my response needed to be gentleness and forgiveness. Because how can I say that I love God, whom I haven't seen, yet I can't love my brother, whom I have seen? I'm meant to be an example of Jesus Christ. 
we are meant to be examples of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for a Savior that will forgive me when I sin. I need to simply come to him and confess my sin. And he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse. And we cover that in 1 John chapter 1, verses 9. You might be thinking, yeah, Dave, yeah, but what about the struggles, the physical and the mental hurt that maybe you've experienced in life or that I've experienced in life? You know, many of us have been put through the ringer. Many of us can probably share personal stories. Sometimes we suffer for doing the wrong thing. Sometimes we suffer because the world simply hates us. No amount of suffering that any of us ever faced would even come close to what Jesus Christ suffered at Calvary. Remember, Jesus was a lamb led to the slaughter, silent before his accusers, completely trusting in the Father. And I encourage you, Christian, no matter the difficulty, the abuse, the betrayal, cling to the cross and respond to others like your, like your Savior responded to you. As he hung there on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved, yet in his final words, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In closing, I just want to leave you with a parable that we all know and part of the response that Jesus gave to Peter's question. And Peter's question was, Lord, you know, how often should I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And we see in our parable, and it's, it's quite, a, quite a lengthy one, but I, I think it it's really brings home how the Lord desires us to respond. And we see in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, and I'm going to exchange the currencies here with modern day currency. And the Bible says these words, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owned him 10,000 talents or $15 million. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children, all that he had and that the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down and said, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him his debts. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred denarii or sixteen dollars. And he laid hold of him and took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all that I owe. And he would not. But he went and he threw him into prison till he should pay all the debt. So we, his fellow servants, so when his fellow servants, sorry, saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you, you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion 
on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you from his heart who does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Church, let me ask you a personal question. Will you forgive those that have hurt you? Jesus forgave us. If we are in Christ, we should then forgive others. Amen? Agape love is inclusive. It's, in, in a biblical sense, unconditional. God doesn't reject us because of our nationality, our race, our, our, whether we're a man or a woman, our capabilities. He doesn't see Baptist, Anglican, Pentecostal. He doesn't see vaccination or unvaccination status. The, the world causes separation and divides. The church does not. We, we don't do these things. Jesus Christ broke down the walls of separation across all nations, tribes, and tongues. Why? Because he loves you and I. Amen? Amen. Let us bow our heads.